Loving Father in heaven, thank you, dear Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. We ask, Father, that these moments that we spend with you in fellowship right now shall be moments of power and of grace as we go through your word because spiritual things are spiritually discerned we ask that you grant to us the gift of your holy spirit that we may rightly divide the word of truth we see that the time is ticking and we know that the end is very near we need your help more than ever before so we pray that we will not just be hearers of your word but do us also grant us of your spirit put your words in my mouth for i have nothing to say to your children that will be of benefit to them so please lord put your words in my mouth for the sake of your son jesus that died on the cross of calvary for our sins please speak to us and help our sin sick souls and teach us to have the character of our lord and savior jesus christ in jesus name i've prayed amen Conflict and Courage, November 12. Converted at last. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? John chapter 21, verse 17. This heart searching question was necessary in the case of Peter, and it is necessary in our case. The work of restoration can never be thorough unless the roots of evil are reached. Again and again, the shoots have been clipped while the root of bitterness has been left to spring up and defile many. But the very depth of the hidden evil must be reached. When the third time Christ said to Peter, Lovest thou me? The probe reached the soul center. Self-judged, Peter fell upon the rock, saying, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. This is the work before every soul who has dishonored God and grieved the heart of Christ by a denial of truth and righteousness. If the tempted soul endures the trying process, and self does not awake to life to feel hurt and abused under the test, that probing knife reveals that the soul is indeed dead to self but alive unto God. Some assert that if a soul stumbles and falls, he can never regain his position, but the case before us contradicts this. In committing to his stewardship, the souls for whom he had given his life, Christ gave to Peter the strongest evidence of his confidence in his restoration, and he was commissioned to feed not only the sheep but the lambs, a broader and more delicate work than had hitherto been appointed him. Peter was now humble enough to understand the words of Christ, and without further questioning, the once restless, boastful, self-confident disciple became subdued and contrite. He followed his Lord indeed, 
the Lord he had denied. The thought that Christ had not denied and rejected him was to Peter a light and comfort and blessing. He felt that he could be crucified from choice, but it must be with his head downward. And he who was so close a partaker of Christ's sufferings will also be a partaker of his glory when he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Converted at Last. We left off looking at how Peter denied Jesus. And we also saw lessons as to how we are to take heed to ourselves lest we under some slight little temptation will also deny our Lord and fall. And we were told, let him that thinks he standeth, take heed lest he falls. And we learned from the word of God areas in our lives where we are to take heed. When Peter denied Jesus, it was a public sin. It was not private. It was known to John and it was known to many other disciples. This was an embarrassment to Peter. He was not supposed to do this at all. What was the difference between him and Judas? He didn't sell his Lord, but they both had turned their backs on him under temptation. The beautiful thing about this is that Jesus had said to Peter before that, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That was what Jesus told to, told Peter. That is in the book of Luke chapter 22, reading from verse 32. And it's very beautiful to understand that the Lord knew that Peter was going to deny him and had prepared for it. And so it is for us too. Jesus is praying for us. But remember, he also prayed for Judas. But Judas' case, he didn't, he didn't come back. He didn't repent. He wasn't converted. And so sensitive was the Lord to the case of Peter. He didn't want Peter having the impression that he himself had rejected Peter, even though Peter had rejected him. And the account of the resurrection of Jesus contains information for us to understand just what I'm saying. In the book of Mark chapter 16, reading from verse 1, it talks about how after the Sabbath had passed, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought sweet spices to come and anoint the body of Jesus. But of course, he had resurrected. Now, in the book of Mark 16, verse 5, it says, And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Amen. Behold the place where they laid him. Now listen to what this man said to them next. Mark 16 verse 7, he said to them, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. 
Now, what was the message from this man to the this, to, to these women? Go and tell the disciples and Peter that he goeth before you to Galilee. Why was Peter's name mentioned? It was because the Lord wanted to make Peter know that he had not rejected him, even though Peter had denied his Lord. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. The lesson for us to learn from here is that we should not think that people are beyond conversion. That was something we just read in the devotion. That there are some people who think that when somebody has fallen, they can never rise again. But not so with our Lord Jesus. Even though Peter had committed a public sin, publicly proclaimed that he did not know Jesus and that he was not a disciple, Peter virtually rejected the discipleship of Jesus. He separated himself from the 11 disciples. He said, I know not the man. They said, you are a disciple. Peter said, no, I am not. In other words, Peter was tendering somehow his official resignation from being a disciple of Jesus. The other 10 disciples must have said, why would Peter do this? Well, they did not deny their Lord. They were afraid. They ran away. They hid themselves. But Peter, in self-confidence, placed himself on Satan's grounds. And because he placed himself on, on Satan's grounds, he was baffled by the temptation. And being baffled by temptation, he denied his Lord and gave something like an official resignation from being a disciple of Jesus. But Jesus did not accept his resignation. Jesus said, through this man, the angel that gave the message, go and tell the disciples and Peter also, we need to learn the lesson to be inclusive and not be impatient with people even when they have made mistakes, but to also help to restore them. That is a lesson for us to learn. And when Jesus did appear to the disciples, he gave evidence of this. Reading from John chapter 21 from verse 15, it says, So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. And by the way, this is happening where there are seven disciples of Jesus. John was here. Peter was here. Nathaniel was here. James was here, I believe. I'm sure of Thomas being here. And Peter and... Um, one other disciple now, I think it should be Andrew. Seven of these disciples were here. And Jesus, in the presence of these disciples, had this conversation with Peter. He says, Jesus said unto Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? So he was comparing, telling Jesus, uh, Peter. Do you remember that Jesus, Peter had compared himself to the other disciples? Saying that even if these disciples deny the, the Lord Jesus, that he will not. But he now realized that he was not to do that kind of self-confident, boastful um, gestures towards the other disciples. And Jesus is now asking him, do you love me more than these disciples? Seeing what has happened in the past few days, do you love me more than these disciples? And Peter said unto him, yeah, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, feed my lambs. In verse 16, he says, he said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. 
Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he, that's Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Amen. Two things here we see Jesus committing the commission, committing to Peter a work of discipleship in the presence of the other disciples and their apostles to let them know that even when he ascends, they are not to treat Peter as one who apostatized. Jesus asked this question in their presence so that the other disciples can hear from Peter a retraction of the previous things he had said. Why did Jesus ask him three times? Peter may not have understood. Peter denied Jesus three times and the Lord asked him three times, Do you love me? Three times Peter was accused of being a disciple and three times Peter denied it. Now three times the Lord gives him an opportunity to take back the words he has said, not just in private but in the presence of the other disciples so that they can hear from Peter's mouth that he has not rejected his Lord. Oh, pitiful, loving, merciful, gracious Savior for him to do this to Peter. And even when he restored him, he gave him a higher office than that which he had before. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And then he committed to Peter, or told Peter rather, something about his future, about how he was going to die for his Lord. We must learn the lesson that it is possible for us, for people to be restored unto the Lord, even after they have grieved the Lord. And not just be restored, but also to work in ministry for the Lord. This fall of Peter, his own case was in denying his Lord. There are some who may fall, whether in the scandalous sin of stealing as a minister. Pastors steal money. Pastors fall into the sin of adultery, fornication. Others go into perjury. They may tell lies. Others may fall into the sin of irreverence. We are not to look at people because they have fallen as though they can never be restored. Our Lord Jesus teaches us otherwise. Not only that they cannot be restored, but he restored Peter and still gave him the office of being a preacher of the word, not just as he was before, but even a higher office like we saw in the devotion. And that's a lesson that we should learn. But what was it that began the conversion of Peter? It began with that look that Jesus gave to him after he denied his Lord the third time. When he denied his Lord, the Lord looked at him. And let me read this from Review and Herald, December 26, 1899. Paragraph 8, it says, Jesus was weary and faint from fasting when the words of denial reached him. And while the degrading oats were fresh on Peter's lips and the shrill crowing of the cock was still ringing in his ears, the Savior turned his face from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. At the same time, Peter's eyes were involuntarily fixed upon his master. That face, pale with suffering, those quivering lips seemed to speak to Peter, saying, Know not me, Peter? In that gentle countenance, 
Peter read deep pity and sorrow. But there was no anger there. That look of compassion and forgiveness pierced his heart like an arrow. He fled from the now crowded court. He cared not whither. At last he found himself in the garden of Gethsemane, in the very spot where Jesus had poured out his soul in agony to his father. He fell on his face, stricken and wounded, and wished that he might die there. He remembered with remorse that he was asleep when Jesus prayed through those fearful hours. His proud heart broke, and penitential tears moistened the sword so recently stained with the bloody sweat drops of God's dear Son. End of quote. Amen. Also in Youth Instructor, December 15, 1898, paragraph 7, it says the crowing of the cock reminded Peter of the words of Christ, and surprised and shocked, he turned and looked at his master. At that moment, Christ looked at Peter, and beholding that grieved look in which compassion and love for him were blended, Peter understood himself. With startling vividness, his self-confident words flashed upon his minds. Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And yet, he had denied his Lord with cursing and swearing. End of quote. Does this touch you? The Lord turns to Peter the same way he turns to us every time we sin against him because of others. We deny him. And he will turn to us and say, No, not me, Sarah. No, not me, Christian. Because that's what we virtually say when we turn from righteousness to sin. We virtually say, I know not the man, which is what Peter was saying. saying, And he was saying his own with cursing and swearing. And when we do this, the Lord turns. And I wish we could see through the eyes of faith our Lord Jesus turning to us and asking, No, not me, Peter. No, not me, Christian. No, not me, brother or sister, whatever your name is. The Lord turns in compassion and his face is seeing that pity and forgiveness towards us. And I pray that this will break our hearts because the Bible tells us that it is the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It is not his chastisement per se. It is not his it is not any um, thing that he does to punish that may lead to repentance. Though affliction does help, but here it was the tenderness, the forgiving face. And we should learn to also give that kind of look to people. Not a condemnatory, denunciating, attacking, accusing look. It was a compassionate, pitiful, loving, forgiving look that began the, co- the, the conversion of Peter. Peter was not converted because the Lord was offended and angry with him. So also with us, should we see people who fall? It is not to manifest shock or anger or that we are offended with them that may convert them. In the case of Peter, that look was enough. The crowing of the cock made him to run. But how about you? Does a crowing of the cock, do you even hear it crowing when you sin? We need to hear the cock crow whenever we sin against the Lord and retract and come back so that we can be restored. So that is a lesson we should learn from the way our Lord Jesus helped Peter. First of all, he prayed for him. Secondly, when Peter sinned and he was aware of the sin, he didn't say a word to Peter. Just a pitying, compassionate, forgiving, loving, 
look or countenance in his face and Peter knew I have just denied my Lord and we sometimes should learn many times in fact how to give that pitying compassionate loving tender look so that the sinner may not feel like they have they are rejected so that they will not feel like they cannot approach those whom they have offended or the people of God we must learn that lesson reading from this day with God page 270 paragraph 2 and downward you are told never treat those with whom you work as unfaithful unless you have unmistakable evidence that they are unfaithful and even when a worker's unfaithfulness is clearly proved you are not to deal with him in a manner that will give him excuse for saying you were harsh you are to do nothing that will provoke the erring to anger do not bear down on believers or unbelievers in a way that arouses the worst feelings of the heart do not make charges that may be cruelly unjust by such a course you may drive souls to perdition in your work you are to reveal the sympathy of Christ your words are to be an expression of his sympathy you are to speak the language of Canaan you are no more of the world you have come out from the world and you are to be separate from its methods and practices in word and action you are to reveal God's purposes of love you are always to treat your fellow workers with respect end of quote amen that's how we should treat those who err especially when evidence is showing from them that they are already remorseful about their sin that's not the time for you to manifest that harshness or to manifest unbelief in their conversion like you are doubting whether they really understand whether they they know what they did jesus doesn't come to ask peter do you understand what you did do you know why you did it do you know the steps that led you to this while it may be that someone may give you such an opportunity to ask to ask them those questions but you know that it is a painful process for one who knows that his sin is public jesus didn't go through all that for peter it was a painful process alone for jesus to ask him three times lovers down me it was painful to peter but peter bore it and in bearing itself died and so it is with us sometimes those questions may need to be asked to us jesus doesn't go back to that experience and say peter why did you deny me he simply asked him lovers down me it was tender it was pitiful but then peter was converted and we must learn how to treat those who err like i'm saying and i want to read something to that effect now reading from manuscript releases volume 2 page 275 paragraph 2 and downward it says in every church the members are to be helpers workers together with god what was it that moved christ to leave the heavenly courts and come to this world was it to save people who felt no need of salvation was it to confine his labors to those who though they had been blessed with great light had not improved their privileges he says i came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance luke chapter 5 verse 32 the mission of christ was to seek and to save that which was lost those who feel strong in themselves who will separate from those who do not meet their ideal who stand aloof from them in cold-hearted indifference do not manifest the spirit of christ whatever may be their profession they are not bearing the yoke of Christ nor lifting his burden. They have not the mind of Christ and would be a hindrance to the prosperity of any church with which they might come in contact. They cannot be laborers together with God unless they seek the meekness and live the humble life of Christ. And down to paragraph 4 now it says, 
to everyone who is walking in the light. One who is not walking in the light will be an object of solicitude and most earnest prayer. But the Lord does not sanction anyone in presenting the attitude of a moral iceberg. It is not the Spirit of Christ that leads men to wrap about themselves the garments of self-righteousness and to say in spirit, I am holier than thou. Those who are free to denounce, to find fault, to judge and condemn others are not working upon Christ-like principles. They should rather have travail of soul for those who need their help to go forth and seek the wandering lost sheep. Who is pleading with God that he may teach them what to do when souls are wounded and bruised and struggling with temptation? Who is seeking to help them by kindly words? Who is among who is arming himself with the armor of righteousness, studying ways and means to help these souls who are ready to perish? Are human agents cooperating with divine instrumentalities, increasing their moral efficiency by praying for faith, for wisdom and tact, whereby methods may be perfected that will reach the cases that appear most difficult? Who is passing these poor souls by on the other side? Who is making it evident that he loves these souls for whom Christ has given his life? Who is improving the light that God has given in order that he may impart light to others? Who is becoming thoroughly furnished with the word of God unto every good work? Who is becoming a living stone in the temple of God to emit light and to shine amid the moral darkness of the world? End of quote. These questions asked in this quote are, are questions t that are actually telling us what we ought to be doing with respect to those who err, who are in Peter's condition. It is not to treat them like with the attitude of I am holier than thou, but with pitying tenderness, try to win them over. Try to find methods, perfect them, that will reach the cases of those that appear most difficult. Perhaps in your church or in your home, it could be your wife, your husband or a church member. It could even be one of high position like Peter, a minister who has fallen into a scandal. How do you treat that minister? How do you treat that brother? How do you treat that sister? Sometimes we become too selfish and self-centered. I was speaking once to a friend of mine, to someone actually, and I asked the person, when your own friend commits adultery, do you want his wife to leave him? Of course, he said, no, of course, I know he even, well, there's a friend of mine, I know that his wife, he left his wife, they're divorced, but I know that he also commits adultery. And I asked him, did you want his wife to stay with him? He said, yes, that he wanted the wife to stay with him. He doesn't want the wife to leave him. And that means you wanted the wife to forgive him. And he said, yes. Then I asked, how about you? When your wife maybe commits adultery, have you looked at it from that perspective? That because you were saying, because this is your friend, you didn't want his wife to leave him. Now, your own wife perhaps commits adultery against you. But you want to leave her. Is it that you don't see her as your friend? So that you would also realize that you don't want her husband to leave her. Sometimes we are too selfish. We feel, oh, this person has hurt me. But that person who hurt you, there are people out there 
who are hurt also and you may mediate over a case of a husband and a wife who one is unfaithful to the other. In the case of unfaithfulness, what do you tell those families? Do you not tell them not to separate? Then now the unfaithfulness may be in your own home. Why do you want to separate from your wife? Why do you want to separate from your husband because of unfaithfulness? But yet in other families, you try to mediate and you wish that your friend who commits adultery, the husband should not leave her or the wife should not leave him. If you wish that for your friend, why are you inflicting on your own spouse something that you don't want to be inflicted on your friend? I hope you get the drift. We are to not feel this selfishness about these things. I'm just bringing the family as an example. But even in the church, we must understand that we, our hands are to be open, wide open to welcome those who err and not to treat them with indifference or with that attitude of, I am holier than thou. That's what the Lord teaches us in his case with Peter. Peter was a minister who fell into a scandalous sin. Do not think that, oh, the one who commits adultery, his case is worse than that of Peter. Peter publicly denied his Lord. And it is the same public sin that any other person may commit. But the Lord restored him because he was remorseful, because he was repentant, his heart was broken. The Lord restored him into the ministry and gave him the same position but even with a higher responsibility than that which he, which he had before. Let us have the same spirit of Christ and not feel, hmm, am I sure this person will not do the same thing again because of the same position I'm giving to him? The Lord forgave Peter. He didn't eat with Peter with a long spoon. He brought him near to himself, brought him to that same position where it was that he fell. In that same place, somebody will say, oh, this person stole money before. Let us not put him in a position where he will steal again. But if you believe he's repentant, of course, he can be in that position and he will be faithful next time. And now, before I conclude, I would also like to talk to those who are in the situation of Peter, who have fallen and are weeping for their sins. Reading in Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 337, paragraph 1, we know this famous quote that says, We are to grow daily in spiritual loveliness. In our efforts to copy the we shall often fail, just like Peter failed. We shall often fail, not we shall... Um, sometimes fail not we shall uh, a few times fail often it is expected the lord knows it but you humans do you know it if you see somebody failing do you not know that people will often fail before people will often fail so it shouldn't surprise you and make you feel like oh this person he sinned against god what do you expect people are growing we shall often fail in our efforts to copy the divine pattern we shall often have to bow down to weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. We are to pray more fervently, believe more fully, and try again with more steadfastness to grow into the likeness of our Lord. As we distrust our own power, we shall trust the power of our Redeemer and render praise to God who is the health of our countenance amen that's exactly what it is also to those who are struggling feeling grieved over your mistakes these words are for you reading from in heavenly places page 122 paragraph 3 to 5 it is not praiseworthy to talk of our weakness and discouragement let each one say i am grieved that i yield to temptation that my prayers are so feeble my faith so weak. 
I have no excuse to plead for being dwarfed in my religious life, but I am seeking to obtain completeness of character in Christ. I have sinned, and yet I love Jesus. That was the case of Peter. I have fallen many times, and yet he has reached out his hand to save me. Amen. I have told him all about my mistakes. I have confessed with shame and sorrow that I have dishonored him. I have looked to the cross and have said, All this he suffered for me. The Holy Spirit has shown me my ingratitude, my sin in putting Christ to open shame. He who knows no sin has forgiven my sin. Amen. He calls me to a higher, nobler life and I press on to the things that are before. The humility that bears fruit, amen. So these are the things that you can say in your prayers. Now reading further it says, the humility that bears fruit, filling the soul with a sense of the love of God will speak for the one who has cherished it. In a great day when men will be rewarded as their works have been, happy will be the one whom it can be said. The Spirit of God never stirred this man's soul in vain. He went forward and upward from strength to strength. Self was not woven into his life. Each message of correction, warning and counsel he received as a blessing from God. Thus the way was prepared for him to receive still greater blessings because God did not speak to him in vain. Let me just stop. This is exactly Peter's case. Jesus did not speak to Peter in vain. In the end, Peter gave his life. He was able to die for the Lord, crucified upside down. Continuing the reading, it says, Each step upward the ladder of progress prepared him to climb still higher. From the top of the ladder, the bright beams of God's glory shone upon him. He did not think of resting, but sought constantly to attain the wisdom and righteousness of Christ. Ever he pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This experience, everyone who is saved must have. End of quote. What we are learning from this quote I just read is clearly some of us are in this condition that we have sinned against the Lord many times and we still love the Lord even at that. And that's why one of the things we are told to say here is I have sinned and yet I love Jesus. I have fallen many times and yet he has reached out his hand to save me. It's the experience we have as Christians. Like I read earlier, we may we shall often fail in our efforts to copy the divine pattern. It's not we may sometimes often, but we must pray for the Lord to give us more time so that we can correct our errors and also receive the correction and try to climb up that ladder to reflect the image of Jesus. And while climbing, we may slip and fall again, but we have to rise and continue. The Bible says, a just man, the righteous man, falleth seven times and riseth up again. We may often fail. We may grieve the Lord many times and sin against him but we must get up like peter rise up to the high calling press on and do the things that are needed to be done and finally reading from in heavenly places page 124 paragraph 2 and 3 it says to each one of us has been given the inestimable privilege of being a child of god why then should we be unhappy we are all sinful. Do you get that? Not some of us. We are all sinful. But we have a Savior who can take away our sins. For in Him is no sin. 
we all have many difficulties to meet, many perplexing problems to solve, but we have an all-powerful helper who will listen to our requests as willingly and gladly as he listened to the requests of those who, when he was on this earth in person, came to him for help. Do you make mistakes? Do not let this discourage you. The Lord may permit you to make small mistakes in order to save you from making larger mistakes. Go to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and then believe that he does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. End of quote. Amen, amen, amen. Maybe you are in that condition of making mistakes. The Lord is speaking you to, to you today. The righteous man falls seven times and rises up again. From the experience of Peter, you have you must know that the Lord is looking at you with pity and with tenderness and with compassion. And he is willing to stretch his hands to forgive you. Jesus gave his life for you and as he gave it for Peter. And he is willing to save all of us. But then... Peter, in response to that, was willing to give his life for others. And that's why we read in the Bible, this is how we know true love. Jesus gave his life for others. Jesus gave his life for us. This is how we show true love that we are to give our life for our brethren. That's what we are told. That this is how we perceive. John says, hereby perceive we the love of God. That he gave his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren and that was the experience of peter as he had received forgiveness from the lord he also was willing to serve the lord in a higher capacity look at the ministry of peter spoke on the day of pentecost three thousand baptized was the one who healed the man who was lame in the at the golden gate at the beautiful gate also, he continued in the ministry to Cornelius and to many others. His ministry went far and wide. This same man who fell once was used as an instrument for the conversion of many souls. Why? The love shown to him from Jesus, he now showed to others. The forgiveness he received from Jesus, he also was willing to give to others. We must learn to lay down our lives in ministry, seeing that the Lord had laid down his life for us. Let us respond to the forgiveness of God. The goodness of God that leads us to repentance will also lead us to a life of ministry to those who err, to those who are in iniquity, to those who are in sin. You will not do well after receiving compassion and tenderness from Jesus. You see somebody else in sin and you are being harsh towards a person. Have you forgotten how the Lord was merciful to you? How he did not expose you when you sinned? Then, if you have not sinned, why are you casting the first stone? Why are you not being pitiful towards sinners? Why are you not being compassionate towards them when you have received compassion of the Lord? Let us learn from this experience of Peter. As one who received compassion, he was willing to also give his life for others. May the Lord help us. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for these lessons given to us today. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life for us, that we may have the opportunity to be restored into fellowship with you. Help us, Lord, to be more like you in our countenance, in the look on our face, in, our, in the thoughts we cherish about our brethren, that we may give room for people even when they fall, even to expect it and be willing to lead them to Christ. Help us, Lord to lay down our lives for our brethren in this manner. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen.
Love 